Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. Just like last week, if you want to follow along in your Bibles for our, our message time this morning, um, you can turn to Luke chapter 23. And we're going to continue to look at there as we're approaching Easter and, and the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, what we're doing to get us there, to get us from where we are to Easter, is we're taking some time to look at the words of Jesus from the cross. The conversations that he had, the comments he made, and the prayers he prayed. And last week, uh, we, we talked, or see, we want to see the words that were spoken at this most profound moment in history and, and see what they can mean for us in our lives today. And, and last week, we talked about some of the specifics of crucifixion, the, the hows and whys of, of people being crucified. How did the Romans do it? Why did they do it? How did it work? And we're not going to go back over all of that again today. But what I do want to highlight for you, and just we touched on this a little bit last week, and I want to expand on it a little bit this morning, is that crucifixion wasn't a common punishment. It wasn't the go-to. It wasn't, well, oh, somebody did, so, oh, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, that, that they weren't throwing out crucifixions like candy. It, it wasn't the, a common punishment. It was, it was a punishment that was reserved for people they wanted to make an example of. It was something special. Crucifixion was an event. It took effort. This wasn't something that, that people were given to simply because they had broken a rule or they had broken a law. It was a statement and it was a message for the worst of the worst. That if, if you received crucifixion, it was you were meant to be made an example of. And so as we walk through this story, we're going to see that it was Rome making an example of people and it was used to demonstrate against people that Rome thought needed to be shown something. And crucifixion, Rome was saying that you're not just guilty, but you're guilty of a crime so great that you deserve the most agonizing death that we could come up with. That you're guilty of the most agonizing, monstrous form of capital punishment that we could come up with. But when you were crucified, it wasn't just the crucifixion where, where it ended. Now, for, for the body, it ended there. But for the Romans, when you died in crucifixion, what they would do with you was they would functionally take your body down off the cross and throw it in the dump. They, they would take it, they would throw, for, for if you're crucified in Jerusalem, your body was thrown in a place called the Valley of Gehenna, which, which was like essentially the garbage dump for the city where all of the garbage was taken and it was burned. And that's how they got rid of it. And so when you were crucified in Jerusalem, as they took your body down, that's your final resting place, was in the garbage, your body being burned up. In the end, the Romans wanted to make sure that as you, as you were guilty of this, what they wanted to ingrain in you and in everyone like you 
This is what we think of you. We think you're, you're trash. You're garbage. You're, you're no better than, than our, our garbage that we're throwing away. And so when someone is crucified, we know that they, this wasn't the go-to, but your life had had to have gone through some really bad places, and you had to make some very bad choices to end up here. It wasn't like, oh, you didn't pay your speeding ticket, crucify him. Oh, oh, you, you didn't show up to work, well, crucify That it was saved for the worst of the worst. And this is the punishment that was given to Jesus for the crime of, well, that's a little bit complicated. Um, one of the practices that they had when you were crucified was on, on the cross where you were crucified, above your head, they would put a placard, and on the placard, it would say what you were guilty of. Because not everybody who knew that you were being crucified knew who you were or what you were guilty of. So they wanted other people to be able to read what it was that you had done just in case you were thinking of doing the same thing. So that they could, if you looked and you saw he was guilty of inciting a riot and so we crucified him, well then I know I better not incite a riot because this is my future. And that was the point, was they would hang big signs and it would have what you did so that people, when they saw that you were being crucified, could see what it is that you did and then hopefully you would think twice about doing that thing. And in verse 38, we read about what Jesus' crime was. We read his crime, the reason why he was up there. And it, it, verse 38 says, and there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. So for Jesus, this was the best they could come up with. Being the king of the Jews, in theory, isn't a crime. Now, if you're Rome and you're worried about an insurrection and all of these things, yes, it would have been. But the best that they could really come up with was some snarky, sarcastic, non-charge. Well, he, he claimed to be the king of the Jews, and that's why he's here. And so this is, this is the scene that we come to this morning. As Jesus is hung on the cross with, with, with this charge above his head, it's, it's not a charge. But we read that, that Jesus wasn't the only one guilty, guilty of a crime so great that required crucifixion. Verse 39 will say this. One of the criminals who hung there with him hurled insults at him. We'll come back to what he said in a minute. But I want to I stop and, and just talk for a minute about these other people who were with him. Scripture will tell us that, that there was two other people crucified with Jesus. Jesus was crucified in the middle, and on either side, there was another person. Because crucifixion was an event, like we talked about, because it took work, like we talked about, you wouldn't just have random one-off crucifixions. You, you would create a backlog and then do them all at once. That, that you wouldn't just do one at a time. It was impractical. It was too much work and it was too much effort. If you're going to go to all this trouble, we may as well do a few of them at once. And so on the day Jesus was crucified, there were two other men being crucified at the same time as him. Now, depending on the translation of the Bible you have and which passage you read from, you can get some very different understandings of, of just who these men were. 
Um, we just read, and you can read on the screen, or you can read uh, if you're on, your, on your screen if you're watching at home, one of the criminals who hung there. But some other translations, and specifically in the book of Matthew, we read that in this story, we read the story in chapter 27 of Matthew, it may say that they were thieves or robbers. But this, this is a, an issue where sometimes we translate a word and, and it's what it means, but it's not really what it means. Because crucifixion wasn't the kind of punish, punishment that you would get just because you stole something. Times were difficult and, and it, people weren't affluent and people were stealing stuff a lot and you would have to crucify a lot of people if everyone who was guilty of theft was crucified. And so when we go into the Greek and we look at what Matthew would have to say and we go into the Greek writing and that's, that's the language that, that the, uh, the uh, New Testament, the entirety of the New Testament was written in, was written in Greek. And when we look at the word that was used and, and we understand the Greek context for it, it gives us a fuller picture. What it means is that you were somebody who stole things out in the open, but you did so with violence. It, it means a thief who plunders and pillages, exploiting the vulnerable without hesitating to use violence. And so as we talk about the thief on the cross, thief really isn't a big enough word. Because we can get the, well, he stole a loaf of bread to feed his family. But that's not, that's not the concept. It's not just that they stole stuff, but they stole in violent and difficult ways. But what I want to focus for us on what it says in Luke today to help us get a picture of these two men and how maybe we can see ourselves. The word that, the word that Luke uses that we translate as criminals is the word kakaragos. And it's a word that's really made up of two words. Ka, which the first two letters, which means bad or evil. And the rest, kuragos, which means the works. So what this means is, is that they were men who did bad, evil things. That the works of the which they had done, they were just evil. And so sort of the charge brought against them is that they were evil. And so these are bad guys, guys who have done some bad things. And, and these are the two guys being crucified on either side of Jesus. They're bad, bad men. And so with that understanding, let's go back to, to Luke and, and see what unfolds. Verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, at Jesus, saying, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. One of these men joins in the mocking of Jesus. As we read the story of Jesus to the cross, and even as Jesus hangs on the cross, we see people mocking him relentlessly. Is it, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. He said he was Elijah. He should be able to come on down. Save yourself. And then they laugh at him and they mock him. And now we see one of the men being crucified with him is joining in on that. The sarcastic charges, the crown of thorns, the mocking and taunting of the religious leaders, all of the people gathered there. And now this guy too. But he says to Jesus, Jesus, save yourself. Save yourself. But Jesus did not come 
to save himself. That's not why he came. He came to, the, came to, to save you and to save me. He came into the world to save humanity. Friends, aren't you glad that he stayed on the cross? Aren't you glad he didn't step down off of the cross? In, in, in a moment like this, he could have stepped, he, he would, when confronted by Pilate, he would say, look, if this was a war, I would get 185,000 legions of angels and they would come and fight for it. Jesus didn't have to be here, but he chose to be here. There's this powerful statement made in what Jesus doesn't do in this moment. Because Jesus didn't come to save himself. He didn't choose to save only himself. He came to save us. And his salvation of our lives, it's, it's bigger than just from hell to heaven. That it's not just simply about this eternal destiny that we may or may not have. It's bigger than that. His salvation extends into our daily life. That, that the reality of, of Jesus saving us isn't just something that happens when we die, but it's something that happens in your life today. He saves us from our humanity. He saves us from ourselves. He saves us from our brokenness. He saves us from our shame and all the things that we can do to each other. The chaos and the pain in the world. Jesus came to save us from all of that. Not to just simply take us to heaven one day. Not to just simply have some eternal security, but you're still on your own in life. Jesus' death on the cross means as much for us today as it will in eternity. He came to take our sins upon himself on the cross so that we could be forgiven to show us what sacrificial love really is. Back to our story in verse 40. But the other criminal, so, so the one criminal is mocking Jesus. Save yourself and save us while you're at it. But the other criminal rebukes him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. So there's this other guy. And he sees and understands something about Jesus. He, he looks at, at Jesus and, and his eyes are open and he's, he's able to clearly see what he is and what is happening here. And he realizes if anybody's being unjustly punished here, it's him. If anyone here doesn't deserve what's happening to them, it's him. If anyone is suffering wrongly here, it's him. And the man's eyes are open to who Jesus is. And he turns to Jesus and he speaks to Jesus in verse 42 and he says this. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is the last conversation that Jesus is going to have human to human before he dies. This is the last time Jesus is going to speak to another person. 
It's not Jesus' last words. We're, we're going to look at those later. But this is the last person that Jesus is going to have a back and forth interaction with. And in this moment, in this conversation, we're, we're given this remarkable picture into the heart of Jesus, the heart of the Father. See, Jesus is not sharing his last conversation with a righteous person. Really, probably, he's not sharing his last conversation with whatever, what we would even call a good person. Someone who earned it. Someone who earned the honor of being Jesus' last conversation before he died. Someone who, who, who had earned that honor or someone with whom that conversation could make a difference in what was happening. He's having this conversation with someone who earned not conversation, but crucifixion. Someone viewed as, as one of the three most unrighteous, one of the most deplorable, detestable people in Jerusalem that day. This is who Jesus shares the conversation with. And so we have two guys on the cross with Jesus. One guy bitter and angry. Life is unjust. Life is unfair. Mocking Jesus so that maybe he feels a little better about himself. Maybe feel a little tougher. Maybe feel a little taller. Even in this situation, as we're both hanging on the cross crucified, I can do a little something to put you a little lower than me. And then there's this other guy. And this, this guy is saying, he, he, he's saying, wait, wait a second. If anybody should be angry right now in dealing with this situation, with a sense of unjust suffering, it should be this guy. It should be Jesus. And yet, last week, we, we talked about how, how Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. This man heard Jesus say that. And he's realizing that, that he's the one who should be angry, and he's the one who should be upset. And yet, in this moment, he's praying for our forgiveness. You must be who you say you are. And he decides he's going to lean into Jesus. He's going to put his faith in him. And he sees Jesus for who he really is. And he expresses it this way. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. See, when I look at these two guys on either side of Jesus, I can see myself in this story. It's easy for me to look at the first guy and go, oh, I'm not as bad as that. I've never done that. I've done a lot of mean things, but, but I've never made fun of Jesus. But if I'm honest, there's times in my life where I've looked at how things are going. That There's times in my life where I've looked at the perceived injustice of what's taking place. Where I've looked at my life and I said, that's not fair. 
And there's times in my life where I've begun to question God and to say, God, if you were really real, if you were really God, then why don't you? God, if you're really God, why don't you save yourself and save me too? God, if you're really real, then why don't you do this? And I can have a sense of, of self-righteous arrogance inside myself and put myself over God, over God and, and, and say to God, I know you could, but you're not. And so if you're not, then maybe you're not. You must not be who I think you should be. I can see all too much of myself in the first guy. But there are times when I can also see myself in the second guy. I know that I don't always know it all. I know that I don't always understand it. But Jesus, I'm just going to believe in you. None of this may, I, I don't know what's going on. I, I don't, but all I know is, is Jesus, I trust you for whatever it's worth. I trust you. And we're going to see what happens. And in this moment, this man asks something of Jesus simply from a place of faith. He, he didn't know doctrine. He, he didn't know theology. He couldn't talk to you about the doctrine of atonement or sanctification or justification or, or any of these big Bible words. He, he didn't know anything other than what he experienced. And he here in this moment, he knew that Jesus was who Jesus said he was. And so he turns in his, in his faith and in his heart, and he responds to Jesus. And Jesus responds to him so wonderfully. Jesus' response to him is not, get out of here. You? You fat chance. Jesus turns to him as he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Verse 43, and Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is a bad man. This is a kakaragos. This is not a good guy. This is a man who woke up that morning if he even slept at all the night before knowing his life is over. He woke up that morning knowing I'm under a death sentence. This day is not going to end with me going back to sleep. I'm going to die. He knew his day only had one ending. And yet he hears, and yet Jesus hears this man who earned death. He hears his heart. And he says to him, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin, he made a promise to a dying, repentant criminal. And by the grace of God, and the power of God, that promise was kept. The criminal's sins were washed away and his death that day was his entrance into paradise. 
Verse 44 in Luke 23 tells us that, that this all took place around noon. About that, we don't have it down to the minute, but around noon it takes place. And we can imagine that that second criminal, the one who asks Jesus to remember him, if we go back to 11 o'clock that morning, that he was probably just as unrepentant and rough as the first criminal. He had a hard heart before his change, just as we did prior to our relationship with Jesus. But yet, Jesus, when he was confronted with Jesus, when he saw Jesus for who he was, by noon, his heart, his life, and his eternity had completely changed. May we then not lose hope for those we love who right now may be like that first criminal. Those who we love in our lives right now that, that we want to see come to faith in Jesus. That, that we might say, if only they would come to the Father. If only, if only, God, would you work in their life? God, would you do something? God, would you draw them to you? They may yet turn to Jesus and ask him to remember them. They may yet one day enter paradise. But for those of us who've already turned to Jesus, may you hear his promising words of paradise as your future. And on the day you do hear his words, as you stand before him, he's not going to look at you and go, get out of here, you're kidding. You? Yeah, right. But when we accept Jesus as our Savior, when we welcome him into our lives, we rest in the assurance that his words will be as true and as hope-giving as they were for our brother, this criminal back then, when Jesus will say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. In this moment, we get this incredible picture of Jesus and his heart for all mankind. In the center of this story is Jesus. This story is all about Jesus. But when we pan out, when we zoom out, and we get a wide-angle view of it, we realize that Jesus is at the center of the story. But at the center of the story, he's sitting right in the center of our mess. The story includes us, the Kakaragos, the, the worst of the worst that are around him. We talked about how this man had earned death. And for you and for me and for each one of us, the scripture will say, for the wages of sin is death. Friends, we've earned death. But just like this guy, just like this man, the wages of his life were death, but the gift of God in his life on that day was eternal life. So friends, for us, the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so as we see Jesus at the center of the story, 
surrounded by evil people, surrounded by the worst of the worst, we see that even when the worst of the worst, the worst they could find in the city that day, when the worst of the worst turns to Jesus, Jesus has grace for them too. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you today in humble recognition of of who and what we are apart from you. We come to you today in humble recognition that, that we are the men on the cross. That, that we are guilty and we stand before you without a defense. That we don't come to you with some kind of but. We come to you as guilty as these men. And yet, God, we rejoice because we come to the same Jesus that we see this man come to. That as we read, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We come to this place where we recognize that the same Jesus in Luke chapter 23 is the same Jesus today. And so we come with with joyful hearts that allow us to not have to face the guilt, the shame, and the penalty for our sin. But that we can say to you with confidence, Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. And for each one of us who's prayed that prayer, who has acknowledged you as Lord and Savior, God, I thank you that we can have the assurance that your words to us are, my son, my daughter, you will be with me in paradise. And God, I pray that in the battleground of our lives, God, as the enemy wants to do everything he can to rob us of any semblance of confidence, to rob us of any semblance of a belief that we are good, that we are right, that we are in good standing with you, that he wants to heap guilt, he wants to heap shame, he wants to say you are not good enough. God, I thank you that the same Jesus that hung on the cross in Luke 23 is the same Jesus who has the same grace that you had for that man. It's the same grace you have for us today. And so God, my prayer for each one of us gathered here today who names the name of Jesus is God, we would walk from this place today with new light and new understanding understanding shed on what you've done for us. That you have grace for us yesterday. You have grace for us today. And you'll have grace for us tomorrow. God, thank you that you didn't scoff at the man. You didn't think he was ridiculous. But God, you welcomed him. God, I thank you that you welcome each one of us today. God, we thank you. We love you. We're so grateful for all you've done for us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. On a hill far away
Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family, we go. Tell my trophies at last I lay down. I will Stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. On that old rugged cross, Jesus suffered and died to pardon and save.